fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. This is episode 82, and I am very excited to share this one with you because I had the absolute privilege of speaking with a man who is a staple of the Canadian media industry, as well as the entertainment industry at large. But before we get into it, I do want to remind you, if you're watching on YouTube and you would prefer audio only for whatever reason, you can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other places like that. If you are listening to my voice currently on one of those platforms, though, and you didn't even realize there was a visual side to this whole thing, then please come check it out here on YouTube. If you do come over to this side of things, I would really be thankful if you'd consider hitting the subscribe button. I love connecting with new people and I love making this show and your support really helps me to keep growing this channel. So if you're just jumping in now or you've been there since the very beginning, thank you, thank you, thank you, because it really does warm my heart. Finally, if you want to reach out to me, maybe you've got a cool guest idea or some general feedback about the show, you can hit me up on social media or you can send me an email at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. Either way, if you decide to contact me, let me know if you have any interest in one of these Holofoil stickers with the show's logo on it, and I'll send you one free of charge. Now, as I mentioned off the top, the guest for this week is a man who wears many hats. He's a blogger, a publicist, a social media influencer, as well as someone who has worked with a bevy of insanely famous and talented artists. I am talking about Eric Alper. If you don't already know him, you should. You might know him as that Eric Alper, which is his social media handle where he is constantly crushing it and putting out great content. He's got some fantastic stories, incredible memories, and he was just a super, super nice guy on top of it all. So I really, really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it with him. Thank you so much. No, no recording. Damn you, paparazzi. <laughs> How are you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? Not bad. You can hear me all right on your end? I can hear you perfectly. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me here. Oh, happy to do it. What else am I going to do on a Tuesday but chill with Oliver George? <laughs> thank you for not saying George Oliver. It happens, <laughs> it happens sometimes. We don't him. like George Oliver. He's a little bit of a prat. Yeah, screw that guy. <laughs> yeah, the hell with him. Uh, well, first off, man, you not only are such an impressive dude, but you've always been so, so kind to me in all of our interactions. So I want to thank you for that. Um, I want to let everyone know in my audience who might not be familiar with you, if, if there's some living under a rock or something, uh, you host a show on Sirius XM. You are a phenomenal publicist. You're a Twitter god, I've heard you referred to, a blogger, among so many other things. Um, and just to sort of touch the tip of the iceberg, some of the artists you've worked with in the past, I wrote down some names that stand out to me, but uh, this was a short, short amount compared to what was actually listed. Uh, we're talking about Ringo Starr, Ray Charles, Jerry Garcia, the Smashing Pumpkins, Duran Duran, Snoop Dogg, Ziggy Marley, Megadeth, Everclear, Public Enemy, Biff Naked, The Guess Who, MF Doom. You're all over the place, genre. And all of them are all upstairs. They're waiting for me. <laughs> all of them. Um, I, 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 and none of them I can actually put down as my emergency con my emergency <laughs> contact number. Um, yeah. Yeah, all That's those it. people. The genre. All the people, all the people I bought albums of when I was growing up. It's That's it's astounding. And I know that you've talked to a, a bunch of them and stuff. It's it's just wild that we get to have conversations as adults with people that we've long admired. And I'm the same way. You know, I still it still blows me away talking to somebody like a Biff Naked or or 
or working with somebody like a Sinead O'Connor or somebody that I, I, I've long deeply admired that, um, that I'm, st I'm still a fan, you know, and that's, that's, I think why, why I haven't lost my sanity or I did lose my sanity. I just haven't noticed it as of yet. Probably the latter. Well, looking at that list, I wanted to know, have you always had eclectic tastes or was it something that you learned sort of after being in the industry to appreciate maybe genres that weren't as up your alley right off the cuff? Yeah, I learned really, really early on, um, I, even as a kid. Um, my uh, my first kind of taste of music was was blues music and folk music and rock and roll. Um, a large part of it was was because my grandfather had a bar in Toronto called Grossman's Tavern. And I remember as a kid going to the bar and seeing folk artists and acoustic artists and, and roots and blues performers. And then I saw a movie when I was eight called American Hot Wax. And it was a kind of docudrama based Based on the life and times of Alan Freed, who was the DJ in Cleveland, who kind of coined the term rock and roll in the early stage of rock and roll music in the 50s. And um, it told the story of him and the first rock and roll show that he put on in Cleveland. And at the end was a giant concert and with a real life. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis and Chuck Berry on the screen performing. And as an eight year old kid, um, it blew my mind. I mean, these were like creatures from outer space. I've never seen anybody like it. And it's kind of like when people first see Star Wars or they first read Harry Potter for the first time. And it just, it opened up a whole new world to them. So that was where I, I got my first kind of musical love, but it really opened it up when I started working at a company called Koch and Koch was a distributor of about I don't know, 300, 400 different record labels in Canada. Um, I was working for a very small label in the beginning of my career doing public relations um, called Shoreline Records. And Shoreline. Oh, had, I was going to say Smithsonian Folkways. I had well, read. Smithsonian Folkways came after, but Shoreline okay. had um, Patricia Conroy, who was country, the Nylons, who were acapella, and Nickelback, who were rock. Oh, wow. And then we chained distributors from another company to Koch. And Koch had. Um, Puna Mayo World Music, they had Smithsonian Folkway, they had Compass Records, which was um, Celtic Root, they had Relapse Records and Hopeless Records and and um, all of these amazing rock labels and metal labels. So when I first got hired, it was working, essentially all of the labels were American based and they didn't care about Canada. We were like 4% of the world to them. So they would just give us a box of CDs and the eight by 10 for photos. And here's the bio and go mail them and go follow up and go get reviews and interviews whenever the bands come to town um, and uh, work their videos and work their singles. But during the day I could work the wiggles in the morning, guar in the afternoon <laughs> And public enemy in the evening. And what I loved contrast. it all. Yeah, I loved it. Look, as long as I didn't screw up the people who were supposed to get the wiggles, giving them the CDs for public enemy, I was really good. Like that was a good day. <laughs> um, or maybe I changed their changed their mind on it. Um, but that, that could be an where, upset though, yeah. Yeah. And, and and that's where the world of music for me really truly opened up. Uh, listening to campus radio and college radio, um, um, in Toronto, going to see live shows, anything really, because 
to me, music wasn't really always about music and it rarely still is about music. Music is never really about how well somebody sings or that wicked guitar solo or, um, or the musicality of someone. It's usually the story behind it. It's mm. always the community that's involved with it. It's the brand for lack of a better term. Yeah. It's looking at the logo, looking at the photos, looking at, um, at the lyrics and why, like, what do they stand for? So somebody like an Ani DeFranco, although this is going to sound really horrible to say, I didn't care what kind of music or album Ani DeFranco was putting out. I just cared that she was putting something out. Hmm. I, I love the essence of, of who she is. Same thing with a Sinead O'Connor or a Ringo Starr. Um, the fact that he, somebody like Ringo Starr kept adding to his history of, you know, being a beetle. Um, yeah, he could have just kind of checked out after that he if he wanted to. <laughs> dude, he could have checked out after 1967 and we'd still be talking about him. Definitely. But um but the the fact that um that all of these different kind of styles of music came my way, I loved it because it was it was really all this it wasn't all the same in terms of obviously the music, but the way that I was pitching it was still the same. I still had to write press releases knowing that nobody's going to read the second line of the press release if they're not going to read the first one. I knew that we had to get some really great photos. I knew I had to come correct when it came to delivering the goods, giving people my word and following up with people. Being so consistent, yeah. you know, yeah, sure. But so, um, but the music was great though. I mean, and it still is. It's it's I can still listen to global music and folk and rock and metal and jazz and blues all one after the other. And that doesn't make me so special. But, no, that's, but I think that your that's job, where it all kind of came from. I think that's helped you probably to avoid something that I know I find myself guilty of, which is you know, I'm in my late 30s now. I have kids. I can't always relate to their music. But I think you trained your brain through your career to be open to all new forms of music, which has got to. Keep yeah. And, and it's also knowing full well that I never wanted to be the kind of parent or the kind of dad to my 19 year old where it's like, this isn't music. Let <laughs> me blame music. Because my parents said the exact same thing when I was listening to tears for fears or duran yeah. duran and so um and i know everything goes in cycles and stuff but you know even i mean even when i post something about an artist that is a absolute lightning rod for criticism based on oh like they just suck um it, it it's it's fascinating to me you know the fact that somebody can reach the charts and break records now, you know, like, I'll give you an example. It's like, you know, it would be very easy for, um, you know, I, I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to assume we're the same age. So we're both, you know, around 28, 29 years old. <laughs> so, you know, whenever I post something about Drake on Twitter, um, seemingly I'll get more criticism about Drake breaking another record that the Beatles held on the Billboard Hot 100 or mm. the fact that he now has 273 songs on the Hot 100. Um, and somebody will invariably say, yeah, but you know, it was a lot tougher when the Beatles had to do it because yeah. obviously they can go single by single. But it doesn't matter to me because the record is the record and I'm just fascinated by people that are doing really, really well. I want to know why they're doing well and not that I don't understand what they're, what kind of, you know, I, I, it's not that, it's, um, oh, I don't understand this music. How can it do so well? I want to know where all that music came from. I yeah. want to know who's breaking on TikTok. And I want to know what they're doing on TikTok because the consumption of music might be different 
to this current generation of 15 to 19 year old, the way that they're listening to music is very, very different, but they're still listening to music and pop music or rock music or metal music for the exact same reasons as yeah. you and I did back in the day, you know, to cure our loneliness, to make us feel happy, to the make excitement the car drive of a live better. Show. Yeah. It's the same. It's just the exact same reason. It's just different sounds. Yeah. Well, and uh, take Stranger Things, for example, bringing yeah. Kate Bush and Metallica back into the zeitgeist in a full force, you know? Yeah. And I never, I, you know what? I never really, I never really took a stand against, you know, what I saw or, or, or what I've seen on social media about people being really snarky. Usually I just ignore it because it's like, Nobody cares about my opinion, but I, I posted a couple of days ago that it's, it's like, look, for people who are snarky about the fact that, you know, maybe they only know one Metallica song and it's Master of Puppets and they only know it from Stranger Things. It's no different. Than who cares? Yeah. On, no different than me putting on much music and watching a moody blues video for the first time going, who is this band? And yeah, exactly. Somebody it's saying, Oh, that band's been going on for like 30 or watching Val Kimner do Jim Morrison of the yeah. doors. It was like, you know, every day there's somebody discovering the Beatles for the very first time. It's, it's, it's not even natural. It's just the way things are. And, every and yeah, day. there will always be those gatekeeper types that are like, oh, how how much of a fan are you? And it's like, well, right, let, the, right. let the guy become a fan, you know? You know, it was funny. I saw I saw somebody um, I saw a video that they were at a music festival and he was going up to people who were wearing rock band T-shirt and putting a microphone in their face and said, can you name three bands of the artist that you're wearing? And it was people wearing Nirvana shirts or mm. Ramon shirts or, or whatever. And, you know, and, and I get why he was doing it. It was like, Hey, you know, you can go well, viral. Don't be a poser. Making, yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can go viral making fun of people. But the fact is that, you know, if somebody's wearing a Wilco shirt, Oh, you better believe I'm going to talk to them. You know, yeah. um, it's it, it, wearing a band shirt is an invitation it's almost like a business card. You know, this is who I like. And and if you're wearing a Ramon shirt, you're bound to be fun. Yeah. So like, who cares if you don't know three songs? Who cares if you can name the whole discography? Nobody cares. Yeah. And well, I guess the only time it would be a little bit lame is if you absolutely know nothing about the artist that you're like, if you've never even heard a single yeah. moment of their music or that playing. you spent $950 on a bling Ramon shirt that you're wearing to a fashion shoot. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be the guy to hate on it, but I, I do know there is some of that. People just think a logo is cool or something like that. You know, like when I was uh, 13 and still to this day, I've always been obsessed with sublime. Uh, and you know, in Ottawa in early two thousands, I couldn't have found a 40 ounce to freedom shirt. If I tried, I had to go on <laughs> eBay and stuff. And now it's at hot topic. And you know, some yeah. seven year olds wearing it. I'm like, I don't know if these lyrics are appropriate for you, but yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this is the way it goes. And like you, I don't see the point in, in wasting energy on on being negative. There's already so much of that out there. <laughs> no. And there's so much better things to get negative about. Music is True. not one of them. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like if people, you know, <laughs> yeah. If, if, if people decided to always use social media for good, the world would be in a much better position than it is now, rather than just using it to go viral or just trying to hate on something just because of what somebody else posted, just like walk away. You know, yeah. you can block people in real life too, if you want to, I yeah, have basically yeah. get a restraining order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about my actions. Uh <laughs> 
I wanted to uh, actually I was originally going to start things off by saying this is episode 82 of my show. So I was going to flash us back to 1982 and see where little Eric was at at that point. You would have been about 12 if my math is right. Um, and 10 years later, you would have been a full time publicist in 92, as I read. So I wanted to know what happened during that 10 year period that sort of led you on the path of, OK, I want to make this a career because we know at eight years old, you were already enthralled with music as you were telling me so what led you to go okay this is what i want to do in 1982 i got my first subscription of billboard magazine and i got it as a bar mitzvah present um and it was the only thing that i really truly wanted because you know um um reading about music was the was was and still is um the best way for me to get involved with music was knowing who the players were, knowing what a record label does, knowing what a distributor did, knowing what a manager does. Why does this person leave this manager over this manager? Um, and it wasn't rare. It, it wasn't always listening to the music. A large part of it was, and still is reading about music, reading on, you know, about bands that are being written about in pitchfork magazine or, or other places, um, or just kind of going through the whole day's emails of reading other people's press releases to find out what, what they're, you know, what's out there. Um, so in, in 82, I was getting the subscription of Billmore magazine and becoming the geek that I am. And it wasn't so much of memorizing the charts. It wasn't memorizing catalog numbers in that kind of sense, but it was really knowing that I knew I wanted to do something in music, but I had no musical talent whatsoever. So mm-hmm. I better had found, find something that I could do. I was in bands and I stunk. I was in, um, you know, even in band in high school, I was awful. I would be faking, making trumpet noises because I couldn't play. <laughs> um, and then in 92, I was in my second year at university um, working for the Excalibur newspaper and volunteering at the campus radio station, CHRY at York University, and pretty much meeting publicists for the first time and hanging out with them, um, going to see shows that I would be doing reviews on artists like James or the Charlatans and the Stone Roses, um, Pulp, um, Suede, and music that I loved listening to from CFNY back in the day, now called The Edge. <clears throat> and so two years later, the day after I graduated, um, I started a record label um, with a friend at the time. We went from that to being a booking agent to a publicity company and we realized that we could just get paid for doing publicity without having to lose our shirts on the record label side of things. Cause that was still, and still is really super tough to make a living at it. But the publicity side of it, I loved cause I loved the media. I loved reading what was going on in the media and why they were covering things the way that they were. And I loved music. So doing publicity was, um, a, a real natural progression of something that I found really, really early on that I love to do. And I just found, I just found doing that, which is amazing because I can't do anything else. I have no other talents whatsoever. I have no other loves except for my dogs and my family and, and, uh, you know, a couple of friends, but other than that, I can't cook. Um, I have no interest <laughs> in cars. Um, I, I watch sports, but only when I'm answering emails anyway. So I work seven days a week, 18 hours a day. And, and none of wow. it feels like a burden ever, ever, ever since I started in 94. That's the dream. Finding something you want to wake up and do every day. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, music has given me so much it's it's you know it's it's 
it's developed a lot of amazing friendships. I got to meet my my heroes and heroines. I've got to put a roof over my head because of it. Music is, has offered, um, you know, people the ability, you know, to to not only express themselves, but to kind of connect with those thoughts and feelings that I didn't even know I had through their music. So That's it's so great. Amazing. Thank you, music. Whoever discovered <laughs> music, thank you. Nice job. I think we should all be thanking music. Especially yeah, exactly. during the pandemic. I'm sure it helped a lot of people get yeah. through. Yeah. I just realized like my my mug tea is like probably bigger than my whole face. So <laughs> perspective, yeah. Over there. Um how come he's drinking a 16 ounce big gulp of tea? Oh, that's how he stays up yeah. tweeting all night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to know, actually, because I read that you had worked with so many other labels during your career. Uh, Tough Gong stuck out, to, stuck out to me just as a reggae fan. But yeah. I also saw Death Row Records. And I, yeah. I had to wonder, was that intimidating? And did you meet Suge Knight? I did not meet Suge Knight. Suge Knight was, was unavailable to enter into Canada at oh, the okay. time. Not surprising. Um, we, um, we started... Uh, when I was at Koch, we started distributing um, Death Row really, really early on. And this was before, almost like before the second wave of Snoop Dogg and Dre and Machiavelli and okay, Tupac. Okay. Um, they were first kind of developing the music again for a whole new generation on CD. Uh, mm. Once the CDs came out, it exploded from there. Once ringtones happened, it gave it a third wave. Once um dre who we never forgot about but once <laughs> dre um hit the bank again with eminem and course, d12 yeah. and aftermath and all that stuff that's when it exploded um and it was also a new generation discovering marijuana for the first time um as, as i'm sure i was probably discovering marijuana too forgot weird, about dre as in weird, high that's why we kept forgetting about it because we were too busy getting high <laughs> but like seemingly you know, if you look at somebody like Snoop Dogg now, you would never know that this guy that hangs out with Martha Stewart would ever put out an album called Doggy Style. Like yeah. you would never <laughs> or like was, you know, you know, it is funny what you just I've never yeah. considered the fact that forgot about Dre. It's like, well, 10 years earlier, you, you came out with an album called The Chronic. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's why people forgot. That's a very good. That, point. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. He's um, so angry. Everyone forgotten during that song. And but. then and then the whole mystique around Death Row with with the East Coast and the West Coast and Puff Daddy and Notorious B.I.G. Mm. and all of that happened. And that just kind of elevated Death Row to it. So um, by the time by the time that we got to it and started working it, it was mostly working the catalog and the new releases. But every time that Snoop would come into town, um, I would help out doing PR because I had that, that connection to, to what he was doing. Um, and, um, but it was one of those things where, you know, they would just keep finding things in the vault. You know, they would find Tupac acapella versions or this version. Well, he was recording released. them in Cuba. He's still alive, Every, clearly. <laughs> everything. I mean, he was recording in his sleep. So there was never a, a, a lack of of things to be released. Um, so the Death Row stuff was amazing. Tough oh, Gong cool. was amazing because it was Ziggy Marley um, and and the Marley family. Uh, I mean, first Whalers, Bob, yeah. and then the Whaler. Um, and I got to work with Ziggy for almost about 12 or 13 years through so a number cool. of albums. Um, and he is easily one of the nicest, kindest 
people I've ever met. He's exactly what you would hope a Marley would be. Just kind, funny, laid back. That fills my soul with happiness. Yeah, not stressed out about anything. You know, he would be releasing albums that were in the shape of like a marijuana leaf and it would be like, this is awesome. Or he would say, you know, I'm developing a comic and it's like, that's amazing. What's it called? He's like, marijuana, man. And it's like, of course it is. (laughs) Why wouldn't it be anything else? So, you know, and for the most part, everybody I've worked with has been amazing to work with because not only do you have to be really super smart and something that I'm not, but you have to be really smart to survive. I mean, forget it. Like getting the record deal, that's almost easy. That's the easy part of it because there's so many re- you know, record labels that are out there, but staying on a really good record label, that's hard. Mm. Touring is hard. Being away from your family, it's really hard. Yeah, not getting chewed up by the machine. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, creating a, creating a song like Viggy Marley's, you know. Well, not becoming a one-hit wonder, too. That's got to be a... Yeah. I mean, so many things have to go right for things to break, you know, and and I and and I I tell kids this that are in I tell the kids this, but they're in (laughs) university, Um, you know, when you watch a TV show or a really great movie, you invariably always skip through the credits. But any of those people could have screwed up the film beyond belief, you know, like. A thousand people worked on this film, all moving in the same direction. And music is no different. The fact yeah. that that Europe was having a hit at the same time as America and the Canadian labels were doing great. And you put records in the store and there wasn't a global pandemic to have no more record stores and no more places to play and a shortage of vinyl and a shortage of lacquer. Like so many things have to go right in order for something to break. Um, and uh Everybody that I've worked with has worked really, really hard, not only to get to the stage where they're at, but to keep their their status in the industry, Um, mostly because, again, like me, they don't really know what else to do. It's why the stones are still going at 79, 80, 81. What are you going to do? Tell Mick to go and tend to the garden. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, what's Keith going to do? He's going to suddenly go race cars. No, he's going to go out on tour in Chile or Cuba for like for for like three weeks. It's what they do. It's who they are. Yeah. And so these artists are all are, are no different. Well, and a lot of time when people have a calling like that and they get to the point where they want to retire, they either go back to it or they pass away, sadly, sometimes because it's like their calling has, has fulfilled its purpose. Or yeah. Something. And their ego won't allow them to go away. You know, <laughs> like they're they they know what they have. They know they can write a song. They know they're really good on stage. They know that w- they're one of the few that actually can go out on stage, first of all, and sing without fear of, yeah. of you know, losing their breath and passing out like some people can. I mean, most people can't even get up and speak in front of people in their business period. Um, but, um, but they're really smart. They have a lot of really good people around them. They have really great managers, really great booking agents, um, and really great record labels and distributors. And, and they know, um, that they're, they're all one of the lucky ones to get that start. And they're holding on for dear life. Just like think like I am. Wow. Well, you saying that uh, everyone you've worked with has been great kind of touches on a question I wanted to ask you. I obviously wouldn't put you on the spot and say who's <laughs> somebody that was difficult to work with. So rather than that, I wanted to ask you, was there I'll, tell, anyone... I'll tell you who it was. Oh, if you want to. Yeah. 
Bob McGrath from Sesame Street. No, I'm only <laughs> kidding. He was the nicest guy in the world. I would never say no. For the most part, everybody's been really, really super nice. Well, I want to ask you, was there anyone that prior to meeting them, you were a little worried might be a bit of a dick or something. Oh my God. They had that kind of a reputation that turned out to be uh, delightful. You know, everybody, uh, uh, when I first met Bob Geldof, I, 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 I thought for sure the first thing he was going to do was look at me and call me like the shortest hippie he's ever seen. And, and, (laughs) and cause I mean, you know, I wanted him to tell me to F off like, and that would be a badge of honor. Sinead O'Connor was probably the most intimidating person. Um, because her history was like she doesn't take any guff from anybody she will speak her mind she will rip a photo of you don't rip up a photo (laughs) of you even if you control the catholic church um uh which you know she was right wasn't she yeah oh for Um, sure it was a bold uh, move but it was the right thing to do she was amazing to work with um so many people everybody on death row i mean that's kind of where my question was fueled by yeah you know like I'm not going to smoke Snoop Dogg under the table. Do you have um, maybe Willie Nelson? Um, maybe Seth Rogen or something. The yeah. only I'll, I'll tell you, the only person that terrified me um, was Jerry Lee Lewis, because oh, yeah. when I saw him while working with him, he was doing a concert and it was in Memphis, Tennessee, and he was up there on stage and they had bodyguards in front of the stage all carrying guns. And I didn't know if that was to protect the audience from Jerry Lee (laughs) or if that was to protect Jerry Lee from the audience. But by the end of the night, um, I had my answer and it was a little bit of both. Um, Oh, really? Jerry Lee um, is just an absolute. um, I mean, there's no words. He's a legend. He's one of the founding fathers of rock and roll. He is a hellraiser. He He's a little is bit volatile, everything though. off zipping on another planet. But he called me killer, and I just I turned into a puddle on the floor. Like that was all. Um, so for the most part, see, even artists, and I don't mean to say that they're not intimidating, but even artists like Biff Naked or The Spoons or Miles Goodwin of 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 April Wine or Randy Bachman, um, 5440, Andy Kim. Um, I, I, I bought their records as kids with my own money. And so part of it is just like, I hope they like me. Yeah. And then the other part of it is um, not trying too hard for them to like me because I'm, I know I'm probably one of 65 publicists that they are probably going to deal with all year long. So just don't screw up, just do your job. Um, But, you know, it's during those quiet moments where, you know, I I've been so lucky to sit down, like right behind me, there's, there's a couple of, of albums that are my favorite and uh, tears for fears is one of my all time favorite bands. I've had um, the pleasure to work with, with Kurt Smith of the band on his solo stuff, but then tears for fear doing PR for some of their date. Um, and I, 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 there were moments where we had like a half hour, 45 minutes of just doing nothing by hanging out backstage. And I got to ask him all the idiotic fan questions that I've ever had for 25 years. And it was just like, how did you get this sound? Like, how did you, what goes through your mind when you go from being 19 years old and wanting to 
make enough money for primal scream therapy just to get healthy and your next record sells 23 million copies. Like, wow, that's what I, and that's why I love to talk about a little bit on the show is, isn't so much of like, I don't, I don't do, I don't do the games really well. Meaning like, I don't be, I'm not like the kind of host where, you know, let me give you five things. And you tell me like the first, I, I can't do that. What I want to know is tell me what it's like at the peak of your career in the hurricane, but tell me also what happens afterwards when, mm. when you kind of go down because, because I, I want, I want people to kind of get that experience. Like it doesn't matter if you don't know who the artist is that I'm talking to, but hopefully you can learn something from their experience about, about, you know, the highs and lows of just being human. Um, but in those quiet moments, yeah, you better believe I asked Sinead O'Connor about ripping up the picture and, and um, Jerry Lee Lewis about, um, you know, just being an absolute disturber in the 50s and 60s. Um, Snoop Dogg about what it's really like in that office when murders are happening around you. And sometimes they'll tell you the truth and sometimes they'll tell you a little bit of fiction because they don't remember. But either way, it's all good. Or sometimes they're not legally allowed to speak. Sometimes about they're not events. legally allowed. Yeah, it's, like, it's okay. I'm a publicist. I won't tell anybody. You know, you know, I'm not going to write a book, so it's OK. Um, I just got some sort of warning that apparently this is going to cut me off in eight minutes and 30 that, seconds. That's OK. Nobody needs to hear me talk longer than I'm only like halfway ever. through my notes here. I was going to ask if you mind if I start another uh, another one, and get a few more in, because, uh, yeah, there's so much more I wanted to cover. I can answer really quickly. <laughs> OK, I'll try and burn through. Um <laughs> I wanted to know, well, I wanted to talk a bit about your serious XM show, that Eric Alper show. No, I don't you... want to talk about that. No, you don't want to? No. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, well, no, was... no, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Okay, okay. I was going to ask you about um, if there was someone that was already deceased that you wish you could interview, as well as someone who is still with us uh, in the world of the living that you have not oh, spoken to. I, 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 the only reason why I have a show is just so I can get Phil Collins on the, on the air. And that, that's, oh. that's the only reason why I still have it. Um, he's my all-time get. I would not know what to ask him. I would probably just look at him just like that for, for an hour. <laughs> it would just be like, like um, I, I'm just an absolute massive fan. It was one of the first concerts I ever saw with Genesis back in 81. Have all the albums, have all the tapes right behind me. I have all the CDs. Um, I, I am. I, I, have a pic, I have a picture of Phil Collins on my wall, along with my family. Um, you know, there's a picture <laughs> of my wife and my daughter and I, and then like our dogs over here. And when you walk in the house, there's a whole bunch of really cool family photos. Phil Collins is right on the left-hand side of it. Um, so uncle um, Phil, uncle Phil, um, <laughs> he's, a, he's a guy, he's a guy I would love to have on the show. Wouldn't know a single thing to ask him because I would be like, I know more about you than you do, but I just want to, I just want to hang out with you. Yeah. Oh man. That was a great answer. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about being such an influencer on Twitter. You've got 833.5 thousand followers on Twitter. Yeah, alone. but I, I know four people in real life and you're, <laughs> well, and, you're fair. and you're one of them. Well, you know, valid, like, so, but still, I'm still impressed. And I'm still very curious about how you do not succumb to the pitfalls that happen to most people when they're on social media as much as you obviously need to be for your career. Um, how do you sort of avoid just the, you know, the screen fatigue and all that, that we, we, Oh, I don't, 
Oh, I still wake up. Oh, I still wake up paranoid every single day that something happened about something I tweeted seven months ago. And, oh, wow. Um, the, 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 the easy answer is I never go negative. I don't talk about politics. I don't slam anything or anybody or anyone, even if I want to. Um, I, I, I don't insult. I, I always use social media to put the spotlight on others. Um, I find really funny meme that I like. And, and I, I post on social media the exact same way as I do now is when I did back when I first got on MySpace 18 years ago and then Facebook and Twitter and now Instagram is I, I'm, I'm here to just purge my brain off of some things and some cool things I find every day. Um, but yes, it's, it's always a, it's always a concern, but you know, the truth of the matter is, is that although I'm on it, I, 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 I've really stepped back in looking at the comments because they, they'll, they'll just mm. burn yourself out because they'll make you feel really amazing when somebody wonderful sends you a compliment. And then, um, and then you'll have to feel like crap when somebody insults you for a spelling error or calling me stupid because of this or something like that. Some minor so thing, it, yeah. It's, 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 it's a, it's, you know, it's a cesspool of hate and anger. Um, uh, yeah, it's the bedrock of the Internet, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is what it is. So I, I try not to let it bother me. But of course it does. But even just the constant posting must be uh, hard to live your regular life when you got to every half an hour throw up another. Tweet no, I, I, it's all set up in advance. Um, I use. Hoops oh, okay. And so between six and seven o'clock in the morning, I set up the whole day and I'm uh, on there. See, I'm not on Twitter much, so I didn't even know. Yeah, that so I, I, I so it goes from Twitter to Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, hmm. And then I can still, you know, I still keep my eye on it for trending topics. And in case if somebody passes away or somebody canceled the tour or something good or bad happens, I'm still on it so I can keep up on what's going on. So I can post about it. Awesome. Well, um, we'll have to do this again. I, I'll hit you with a couple more questions in yeah. the five minutes I got left. Um, yeah. And then I got to figure out what's up with my Zoom. I haven't done one of these in a while. I used to have unlimited time, but apparently now <laughs> I need to get pro. Because uh, Zoom, Zoom wants our money. Yeah, I guess. Um, okay. Well, I wanted to ask you about your daughter. First of all, you must be insanely proud of Hannah Albert. Very much. Um, but I read that she started her blog at around 10 years old. Yeah. She was nine years old when she started. Nine years old. Wow. Call me Hannah. And she yeah. was talking about anti-bullying, animal welfare, environmental issues. Um, and she's had a Ted talk. She's been interviewed by Strombo. I read. So I wanted to know though, when she first started doing that at that young age, were you uh, really worried about her getting herself and her opinions on the internet? Cause you look at someone like Greta Thunberg or Thunberg. I'm not sure if, sure if I'm saying that right. Yeah. She was harassed uh, quite a bit by people yeah. who just were mean spirited about what she was yeah, doing. And, and so was Hannah. Like, you know, there, there were newspaper articles that were written about her cause she started her blog at nine and there were articles written about her, about the good work that she was doing. Uh, and the comments were like, you know, your parents should be put in jail for wanting to to do like Earth Hour or Earth Day, you know. Um, and so we just we just told her that, you know, there's always going to be people who are who aren't going to like what you do. But also the people that you hang out with, um, ask them what it's like to go through some really bad patches or to take criticism. So mm. when she wrote her first book um, at 17 called Momentous, Amazing. she talked to Malala and and. 19 other influencers and, and 19 other chain makers. Uh, and during the conversation, she always asks about what keeps you going um, when, you know, when you just don't feel like you're making enough. So I think all the, all those people certainly helped her. Um, but yeah, you know, she's your average 19 year old. Other than that, you know, she still gets stung by criticism. She just knows that she needs to do what she wants to do and, and to try to make the world a better place and help people find their spark. And what's so bad about that? Oh, that's amazing. I mean, she seems like a very sweet girl. I even saw the yeah. whole thing she was doing for you on your 50th birthday. 
And yeah, I saw that you apparently used to frequent the gap a lot and that worked out quite well for you. Yeah. Yeah. Still so, so, so wearing the, still wearing the jeans. I still wearing the jeans. I bought 19, uh, almost 20 years ago when I first met my wife. So there you go. Take that. Amazing. Um, so yeah, yeah, it worked out well. Well, uh, you have a beautiful family and uh, I'll finish up by just asking what we've asked everyone this uh, season so far, which is when you were a child, uh, let's say pre eight years old, what did you want to be growing up? And uh, alternatively, if you weren't doing what you were doing right now, what would you like to do? But it sounds like there's nothing else for you. Oh, this is... I, I mean, other than third baseman for the Kansas City Royals, I was, yeah, obsessed, <laughs> I was obsessed with George Brett and the Kansas City Royals growing up as a kid. And that's when I memorized statistics. I still know to this day. Oh, wow. George Brett and, and his batting averages and hits in RBI. So I wanted to be a baseball player. But, you know, God gave me other plans. He gave me really bad hearing and incredible shortness. So uh, so my dreams will have to live on in the next life. It's still a fun answer, man. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for taking your time to talk with me. I hope if you're ever in Ottawa, I would love to have you in studio. Sometime. Oh, absolutely. For sure, man. I love talking to you. And thank you very much for all that you do for the artists and in music in general. It's, it's you're one of the good ones. And I thank and I you tell so a much, lot of people that and and, you know, you've made the pandemic certainly a lot uh, you know, a lot more bearable during all of this time. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Dude, I, I cannot thank you enough for just everything you've done and, and all the great interactions I've had with you. So all the best. Have a good night. Cool. And hope, hope to do this again. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. Take it easy.